0: Acts 28, the very last chapter, we're finishing the book of Acts. How does it all end? Well, let's look in Acts 28 and verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them in the fire a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has just escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived in Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli, There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forums of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation." From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray. Father, open the words of your word to us today and show us beautiful things. Open the eyes of our heart that we may see. Open our ears. May we never be as your people in old times But Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our ears, so we ask that you would do that today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. Well, the story of Acts is neither the start of a story nor the end of a story. As you may remember, Luke wrote two volumes, his gospel and the Acts. But the story of Acts keeps going. That's why the sermon title is To Be Continued, because the story continues to unfold. You almost expect a To Be Continued the way that the chapter ends, because there are all these unanswered questions. You know, Peter just disappeared off the map. Where did he go? What was next for Paul? What did Luke do after he finished writing this? How did Paul's presence in Rome play out, and was he ever exonerated for the charges that were brought against him? How did his presence play into Nero's future persecution of Christians? We could ask a lot of questions, and some we can find answers to in other letters. We know that Paul did stay in Rome for a while from the pastoral letters. We know that he was eventually released but reincarcerated and eventually died. But there are bigger questions that I think are more important. One is, why did God give us Acts? Why do we have Acts in the Bible? What was he doing? And should the church today still look like the church in the book of Acts? And how does the kingdom of God demonstrate itself today compared to 2,000 years ago? And especially, what does the book of Acts mean for my life? What difference does it make? Well, in Acts 28, there are three themes that Luke displays for us. And there are three themes that we've seen throughout the book of Acts. So this is nothing new. We have seen this consistently over and over again. The kingdom, the gospel, and the scriptures. And we see all three of these summary themes. I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke included these by the guidance of the Holy Spirit in this last chapter as a summary of what has been taking place And I think it's important because as the story continues, these three elements are important for you and me today. The kingdom of God, the gospel message of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the scriptures given to us in the Bible. The gospel, uh, the good news, the scriptures written as a means to reveal God to us and for us to know about God and the kingdom, God's ruling and reigning through his people, through the church, throughout history, unfolding this redemptive plan. It's interesting as well to see there are three different groups of people that Paul interacts with in this final chapter. You see the Maltese people who were really... I mean, they had kind of a superstition of religion, but they were unchurched, didn't have the scriptures... Uh, You might say we're pagans. They were simply existing, and they were controlled by this superstitious view of life. You can imagine the fear of having to interpret everything through the superstition of a God who was reacting to whatever you had just done. In Rome, we see Paul attempt again reaching his own people, the Jews. Paul continually did this. Even after he was sent as an apostle to the Gentiles... Paul had the habit of going to the synagogue first, and he saw the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And in each case, Paul was trying to show and explain to them from the Scriptures who the Messiah was, that he's been there all along, and you guys have missed him, and he wanted them to see it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And of course, along the way, Paul connects with different believers And I think the emphasis here is that we need the fellowship with one another that we have in the body of Christ. And Paul was encouraged and no doubt encouraged these other believers that he saw along the way. But I want us to look quickly through the book and see these three themes and then ask the question, what do these mean for us today? So Paul's shipwreck on Malta we saw last week was no mistake. I hope you had a chance to look on a map and see just how tiny Malta is. In the Mediterranean, God clearly guided the ship uh, to this island that's 17 miles long and 9 miles wide. It's small. The Maltese people were, Luke says, surprisingly hospitable. They built a fire, helped them dry out, warm up. Of course, the storm may be dissipating now, but the cold, the wind, the rain is still there. And Paul, in an effort to serve and help, is jumping in. He's gathering firewood. Got to stoke the fire. And a snake comes out and bites his hand. The snake is described as a viper, a poisonous snake. And Scripture doesn't tell us why the bite didn't affect Paul. Uh, No doubt God could have supernaturally prevented the venom from having any effect on Paul. It could have been that uh, the bite was a dry bite. Snakes can sometimes opt not to release their venom, and they found that this is particularly true when a snake bites something that that it can't eat. It's too big for it to eat. So it's just a defensive mechanism. Um, Some have suggested that the observers simply mistook the snake to be poisonous, and it really wasn't. Well, even though the the Scriptures don't tell us what happened here, other than that he was bitten by a viper and didn't die, I think the point was, and it was clearly the point for the people because they thought it was a poisonous snake, was to show the power of God over nature. God's kingdom power. God is saying to this people, I am king of kings and lord of lords, the creator of all, and I rule and reign even over nature. Well, the people didn't get that, did they? Right? They just saw Paul bit by a snake and they said, oh, he's a bad guy, he's a murderer, and he didn't die at sea and he should have. So justice, the God of justice, this divine supernatural power that they saw was going to take Paul out now via the venom of this snake. But nothing happens. And so now, what is their reaction? In the matter of an hour or two, they go from, murderer, he should die, to, oh, he's a god. Uh, You can understand the fickleness of superstition. And you can also see how enslaving this kind of thinking is. This constant fear of uh, the divine having a temper tantrum every time you do something that doesn't please him. These people lived in fear and were enslaved. Every snake bite, every case of dysentery, every storm, every little happening had to be interpreted in a way to appease the higher power. So God puts his power on display through Paul. And the first host that they see, you can imagine a small island like this receiving suddenly, in the context of a storm, 276 additional people. What do you do with that many people uh, right away? And so this Publius had the land, he had the property, and he puts everybody up for three days until the island can figure out what to do with everybody. And his father is sick, the Bible says, with dysentery. Uh, Most scholars have suggested that this is something called Malta fever. Uh, It was linked uh, in ancient times to uh, an enzyme in goat's milk that caused dysentery. They've since dealt with it, and it's no longer a problem. But it was a problem at this time, and the guy's experiencing all of the effects of dysentery, which are certainly not pleasant, and so Paul makes a house visit. And God is going to show his power again over nature, not only for protecting Paul from the snake bite, but now healing this father of Publius. And then the word spreads, and soon others come to the island, and they're cured of their diseases, and Paul's power, or God's power is on display. The power of the kingdom is an incredible testimony to the king of the universe. That's the whole point. And as we've seen the different cases of the supernatural being put on display, it was never about Paul or Peter or the administrator that God used to... the medium God used to, to, to do the supernatural work. It was always to point to the God of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The Jews didn't necessarily need this. And when Paul goes to them, he goes right to the Scriptures. They have the Scriptures. They have seen the power of God on display. We talked about in the new members class, uh, even this morning as we're going through covenant theology and looking at the Mosaic Covenant and the Exodus and how the Jews continue annually to look at the Passover so that their children, they use the mediums of these foods and acts to teach their children what they were delivered on, the power of God in the Exodus. But the Maltese didn't have the revealed word of God, and so God graciously shows them his power through these healings. But the kingdom of God is about more than power. The kingdom brings with it all the elements of the kingdom. You see, the kingdom's message is the gospel. In Mark 1, verse 14, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom message is the good news. The kingdom's work is mercy. Luke ten nine, Jesus said when sending out his disciples, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. God works through acts of mercy to show His kingdom power, as we see in this text. And the kingdom's fruit is that of the Spirit. Romans 14, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when we consider taking the message of the gospel, we don't simply walk around hand out tracks or stand on a street corner with a microphone, although those may be appropriate times to do that. But we actually have more than just the message. No doubt, the message has to be proclaimed. If we ever stop proclaiming the message, any of these other things become meaningless. But it's not an either or. Calvin says you can't dissect Christ. It's the whole package with this message. And sometimes even before we get to this message... Our fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, our good works cause other people to see the light of Christ and glorify our Father in heaven. God uses us and the things that we're doing. Our lives matter. Your life matters. The way you're living your life matters. Not in a meritorious sense. You're not earning God's favor. Christ's death for you is complete, is sufficient. You're not adding to that. But God is using your good works and your acts of mercy to draw other people to himself. And so this is why we can engage in the work in Tanzania and provide clean water. And we can do medical clinics and dental clinics and provide food and clothing and tangible things for people. Because we're not segmenting it, cutting it off. We're doing it with the gospel. And additionally, our lives are backed up by that fruit that's on display. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness... Faithfulness and self control. Did I get it right, girls? The Bacchus girls are looking. I know they know the song. Right? That's what backs up the message, is that spirit that empowers, that indwells us, is working in our lives and put that fruit on display. We preach grace alone. One of the five souls, again, a joy going through this with the new members class. We looked at this. Our good works are not meritorious, they earn us nothing before God, but good works do follow faith. James wrote, faith without works is dead. In other words, if we have a faith that doesn't produce good works, we need to look at our faith because it may not be what we think it is. Genuine faith, on the other hand, produces good works or good fruit. It's the natural flow. Does this mean that we're perfect or that we do everything right, that we don't blow it? No. (laughs) No, we still do. We still need Jesus. We still need the gospel. We still have to confess. We still have to repent. Daily, we blow it. But the good fruit is there, and it's an increasing. This is that quote that I mentioned from Calvin. We dream neither of a faith devoid of good works, nor of a justification that stands without them. Do you wish then to attain the righteousness of Christ? You must first possess Christ, but you cannot possess Him without being made a partaker of His sanctification because He cannot be divided into pieces. God is sanctifying you. Remember what we looked at last week, the storms? God's using those storms to sanctify you. That fruit that comes out in the process then gives a testimony as a fragrance. We looked at the storm last week. I don't know if any of you saw the news. You know, there's a Medicaid right now in the Mediterranean, our Mediterranean hurricane. We got a call from friends or an email from friends whose daughter was over there vacationing, asking for prayer that they could get out before the storm hit. So this rare storm... That They they don't happen often, but they they do happen. So look up, Google the news, and see that uh, these things do happen. This was what Paul had just experienced. And so, here, at Christ the King, we will continue to be a church that proclaims the kingdom of God in word and in deed, so that all may see the power and goodness of God in Christ Jesus. And that leads to the next point, and that is, the proclamation is the gospel. So our our works and good deeds that put the the kingdom on display for others to see comes with a message. It's not segmented. It doesn't get cut up. It comes with this message. We've seen this again and again in Acts, that it's this continuing story, the story that continues today. Everything is pointing us to Christ. So Paul now heads on to Rome. He leaves Malta after three months, makes his way up uh, through Italy to Rome, And immediately, within three days, verse 17, invites the Jews to come to him. Now, he's still uh, under guard. He mentions now, instead of chains, he's only mentioning these under one chain. And instead of guards, he now only has one guard. So he's kind of, it's light uh, incarceration here. Paul's given a lot of freedom. And so he wants to make a case then before the Jews but he finds out that they had not heard anything from the Jews in Jerusalem. Paul's concern was that he had already needed to be on guard, uh, but they hadn't heard anything for whatever reason. There's a lot of speculation over what that is, but Scripture doesn't tell us. What this did, though, for Paul is just gave him the open floor. They said, we want to hear from you. So they arranged a day. And look in verse 23 of what Paul was trying to do. He was trying to convince them about Jesus from the Scriptures to show them that he was there all along. And as we've looked in recent weeks the, of, some, of many of the prophecies from the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus, we've seen clearly that he was spoken about again and again. And Paul continued to do this while he was in jail for anyone who would listen, teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance, verse 31 says. So Paul continued to be a witness and a testimony even while he was in prison. He was also busy writing. One of the books that he wrote was the book of Colossians, and that's where we're going next week. So hopefully that gives this study in Acts, maybe brings a connection with what we're going to look at in Colossians starting next week. So Paul is not only teaching that Jesus is the Messiah, he's teaching all that Jesus has accomplished. Not just that we have fire insurance, but that the person and work of Christ changes everything for us. In Christ that we find the forgiveness of sins that we don't live with shame and guilt. We find the righteousness credited to your account. Christ's righteousness is yours. Adoption as children of the King of kings and Lord of lords, freedom from sin, peace and hope, rest for the weary, mercy and grace, all of these things, practical implications for our lives. You see, the model for teaching that we see in Acts is not only the announcement of the gospel, that there is salvation found in Christ alone, but also the ongoing work of the gospel, that in Christ there are all these things and more. And it matters. It matters to all of us. It matters when our children walk away from the faith. It matters when you lose your job. It matters when every financial step forward is followed by two financial steps backward. It matters when you... You just can't shake the despair and the funk that you're in. It matters when your health fails. The work of Christ matters. And so here at Christ the King, we will continue to be a church that proclaims week in and week out the good news of Jesus and all that he is for us. We will encourage one another in this. And help one another in this. We will live this hope out. We will rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And we will cling to this hope when all hope seems lost. Instructing and reminding each other that in Christ alone, our hope is found. He is our light and our strength and our song. And then the third point, the scriptures. This is what Paul is doing. It, it, the, the Scriptures are, are, are our station, they're our guide, they're what root us and ground us and bring us back. And we see in verse 23, Paul was trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. This is simply Luke's shorthand for the old, what we have as our Old Testament. He's opening up the Word of God and explaining to them how it all points to Jesus. And of course, this sounds a lot like what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus when he met the two disciples. Luke accounts, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. How cool would that have been (laughs) to have Jesus open up the Scriptures and show you how, look, this was pointing to me. This was telling about me. What Paul and what Jesus both did in these cases and these passages demonstrate this continuity of Scripture, that there is one story, one plan that God has had before eternity to redeem a people for himself. And we see this throughout his word. But the word of God is only a book for those who are spiritually dead. Unless the Holy Spirit regenerates our heart, opens our eyes, then the words of Isaiah that Paul quotes here are true. That you will hear but never understand. That you will see but never perceive. And so while the word of God is expounded and explained The Spirit of God is necessary for us to see and to hear. And so we here at Christ the King will continue to be a church that expounds and explains the Word of God and will continue to pray for the Spirit's work among us to apply this Word to our lives. And so kingdom, Word, Gospel, these are the themes that close out the book of Acts, the themes that we've seen throughout the entire book. They're also the themes of the continuing church the themes of our church, and the themes that matter for our lives today. The kingdom, the kingdom of God, it doesn't come in earthly power, though it can certainly show itself in earthly power. But instead, the kingdom of God comes in poverty of spirit, in mourning, in meekness, in hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The kingdom of God comes in mercy, it comes in purity, it comes in peace. It comes in persecution for righteousness' sake. Do you recognize where those come from? That's Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount when He talked about the kingdom of God. He said, blessed are these people. And He gives that list. Do you feel any of these? Do you struggle with any of these? Do you feel the tension between the now and the not yet in any of these? See, when we're mourning the loss of something, something good the loss of a loved one, the brokenness of a relationship, or even harm done against us by another human. When you're mourning these things and you're broken over those things and so very sad over those things, Jesus says, you will be comforted. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness and you desire to be right before God and you long for justice on earth and you long for things to be made right, for everything to be as it should be, Jesus said, you will be satisfied. Do you ever long for that? The kingdom of God is yours in Christ, and you belong to the kingdom as a co heir with Christ, your royalty. Do you believe that? You have a royal inheritance. I think most of us probably struggle to believe that. Maybe we think more of the inheritance side of things than the royalty side of things when we struggle to believe that but you are securely a part of the kingdom of God. So dwell on these truths when the world whispers the lies to you about your status or your looks or what you possess or what you don't possess and rest as a child of the king when you see power abused or misused knowing that your king is coming with justice and swim in these waters of security and order when your world feels like it's falling apart. And the threats surround you because you belong to King Jesus. He is almighty and he's good. And rest in the word that you've been given. God's word is yours. He's spoken and you can hear him. It never changes. It never fades. And you can trust it. It's a light to your path. And it's a guide to guide you in all truth. It is good and pure and it will give you understanding and help you make sense out of life. God spoke the world into existence by the word of His power and He gives you that same word in the Scriptures. He has given you His same powerful word in your Bible. And finally, the gospel. The gospel is not just your fire insurance or something that happened to you a long time ago. The gospel is the power of God into salvation And it is the power of God for your sanctification. Again, we looked at the storms of life last week and how God is shaping you and sanctifying you for your good and for His glory. And He is powerfully at work in you and He will complete it. He will not leave you hanging even if you feel like you're hanging by a thread today. And so remember the good news, that it's all grace. The pressure's off. You can't earn it. You don't have to earn it. Christ has earned it for you. He is with you. Nothing can separate you from Him or His love for you, and He will change you. You're not the same as you were yesterday, and He will finish this work. The gospel doesn't just mean that you have a future. It means that you don't have to give up now. It matters now. That you don't have to be angry at the effects of sin now. That you don't have to be jealous of others now that you don't have to make a sense of everything right now because His peace that passes all understanding is yours in Christ. So Christ has brought you into His kingdom and made you a royal heir. He has given you His word to guide you and to equip you for everything. But best of all, He's given you Himself, a good shepherd who will provide and protect and lead you with goodness and mercy all the days of your life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the book of Acts, and I thank you for all that you've taught us in this, and I pray that these words would ring in our ears, that we belong to you, that we are a part of your kingdom, that we're co-heirs with Christ, that we are adopted and made royal uh, uh, heirs, that we have a future and a hope that is beyond anything the eye has seen or the ear has heard. Would you comfort and encourage us in that? And Lord, comfort and encourage us in the gospel. May we be so overwhelmed by the good news of Jesus that we not only want to live lives that please you, but we want to share it with others. Would you give us the courage and the readiness to stand and give a reason for the hope that we have. And Lord, for your word, we thank you that it guides us. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It shows us all truth. Lord, would you bring these things together in our lives today to show us that it matters. Our lives matter. These days, even the hard days, matter because of what Jesus has done. So equip us to stand strong. For your sake we pray. Amen.